This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn how operating differently can help you overcome the pressures facing your dealership today at reyrey.com slash operate differently. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Welcome to Daily Drive for Monday, June 12th, 2023. I'm Jake Neer, in for Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, GM makes another investment in its existing factory footprint. Tesla gets a windfall from rivals joining its charging network, and Lithia's revenue goals just got even bigger. Plus, U.S. Department of Energy Deputy Assistant Secretary Michael Barrowbay talks about the department's hydrogen hubs initiative. You optimize something with cycles of engineering. The first time you do it, it's good. The second time it's better. The third time you're really getting better. We're going to start entering that phase with hydrogen fuel cells where they're commercially viable today, but we'll make them better with time. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. General Motors says it'll invest about $630 million at its Fort Wayne assembly plant in Indiana for future full-size pickup production. It's the fourth such internal combustion investment commitment over the past week. All told, GM has committed to spending more than $2.3 billion at plants that build large gasoline-powered pickups and SUVs since June 5th. Those facilities are in Michigan, Texas, Indiana, and Ontario, Canada. The automaker did not disclose details or production timing of the next generation of the internal combustion light-duty trucks. Fort Wayne Assembly builds the Chevy Silverado 1500 and GMC Sierra 1500. The investment will go toward new tooling, equipment, and conveyors in both body and general assembly locations. Tesla stands to earn as much as $3 billion by 2030 thanks to deals with Ford and GM for their electric vehicles to use its charging network. That's according to an estimate by Piper Sandler and Company. The deals now make Tesla's charging model the standard in the U.S. among the largest American automakers. Piper Sandler expects they will pressure competitors to ditch the primary competing standard known as CCS. The companies didn't release any details on revenue but Piper Sandler estimates that Tesla could add upwards of $3 billion in charging revenue from non-Tesla owners alone by 2030, and almost $5.5 billion by 2032. Volkswagen Group's supervisory board will meet on Tuesday to discuss a planned savings program ahead of its Capital Markets Day on June 21st. That's according to two sources close to the company who spoke with a German newspaper. The board will discuss cost-cutting measures amounting to at least 3 billion euros across brands. The German newspaper reports that CEO Oliver Bloom wants to curb duplicate development work and to better use German plants, particularly at Audi and VW. And dealership acquisitions will play an even bigger role in an update to Lithia's audacious plan to reach $50 billion in annual revenue by the end of 2025. Acquisitions are already a hallmark of the retail giant's long-term growth strategy. CEO Brian DeBoer says Lithia's network development target, or acquisition target, is now $25 billion in revenue. That's up from a previous target of $20 billion. We just hit 75% of the way through our initial network development plan, and we had just reached halfway point of the 2025 plan. So we thought that was an easy give, especially now that what we call our world TAM, our total addressable market, is growing. 
DeBoer says the change stems from Lithia pulling back on its overall revenue target for its online sales platform, Driveway, by $5 billion. And those are today's headlines. Coming up, U.S. Department of Energy Deputy Assistant Secretary Michael Berube talks about the department's Hydrogen Hubs initiative. That's next on Daily Drive. Longtime listener of AM Radio, we at Automotive News want to hear from you. We're currently taking audio submissions for an upcoming LinkedIn Live where you, the listener, can tell us why you love AM Radio in your car, how long you've been tuning in, and if you're for or against it being completely wiped out from new vehicles in the future. Legislators have recently introduced a bill that would require AM Radio to remain in vehicles to ensure access to emergency alerts. But automakers are dumping the radio as they face pressure to eliminate costs, reduce complexity, and increase EV efficiency. Please record a voice note and send all audio submissions to ansocial at crane.com. Please be sure to include your first and last name and what location you're calling from. Again, send those to ansocial at crane.com. Economic uncertainty, vehicle affordability, and ever-increasing customer expectations are threatening the profitability and efficiency gains you've made over the last couple of years. You may be finding the strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. You offer online options so customers can begin the buying process remotely, but your salespeople have to rebuild the deal or correct it during the in-store appointment. You ask your advisors to be proactive about calling customers to get work approved, but still wind up with occupied bays and stalled jobs when the customer doesn't answer the phone. Your business office clerks are trying to process steel jackets faster, but funding still takes weeks. The strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. Getting better at outdated and inefficient processes will only get you so far. Let's face it, Netflix isn't a household name because they got really good at mailing DVDs. And nearly half of Apple's revenue comes from the iPhone, not from the computers the company was founded on. These companies evolved as new challenges presented themselves instead of sticking with the status quo. It's time for a mindset shift. It's time to operate differently. Finding new and innovative ways to operate is essential to effectively managing the pressures facing your dealership. Visit reyrey.com slash operate differently to get started. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jake Neer with Kellen Walker. The Biden administration is racing to wean all modes of transportation off fossil fuels and reducing carbon emissions. As part of that effort, the U.S. Department of Energy is beginning to lay the groundwork for hydrogen infrastructure. As it builds half a million charging stations for battery electric vehicles, the department is concurrently spending $8 billion from the bipartisan infrastructure law to create six to ten hydrogen hubs in locations that'll be a nexus for hydrogen producers, consumers, and businesses. It's a program that kicked off about two years ago, and it's now reaching a new phase of its rollout. U.S. Department of Energy Deputy Assistant Secretary Michael Berube spoke with our own Pete Bigelow on Shift, a podcast about mobility. Remind us what the hydrogen hubs are and and give us a status report on and where we are here just about two years later. Overall, A lot, a lot of progress has been made across all of transportation since then. Uh, So go back two years ago, the infrastructure law would have just been being passed at that point in time, landmark piece of legislation that 
on you know, bipartisan basis, really laid out significant efforts to update our infrastructure, including our clean energy infrastructure. And part of that is hydrogen. Um, I will say, you know, as, as we'll, I'm sure, talk about, we're working towards how do we decarbonize every single mode of transportation, you know, from cars, trucks, airplane, trains, uh, you know, uh, maritime, et cetera. So um, across that, we're looking for, by looking at the entire system at one time, we're able to really think about where are the optimal both energy sources and solutions that work across different pieces of the transportation sector. And we uh, absolutely do see hydrogen as a, a important part of that. Uh, so for those of your listeners that, that don't know, um, hydrogen you know, has a lot of opportunities across the future clean energy economy, not just in transportation. A lot of people um, have thought about hydrogen over a number of years in the automotive industry because you know, it's been looked at and uh, thought about in automotive for both cars and trucks. Of course, Toyota has had the Mirai, a very successful hydrogen-fueled car. But when, um, when we look out to the future, we really see hydrogen playing a role in long-haul heavy-duty trucks. It, it really makes sense as a fuel source when you have places where batteries just won't work for some reason. Where And one of the challenges, for example, is if you have a really, really big class eight long haul truck, you can make a battery electric without a doubt. I mean, the, the Tesla semi is now just starting to be delivered. I'm hearing great feedback from people that have gotten early models, but it takes a long time to, to recharge that. And if you have trucks that are going really long distance across the country, fueling time becomes an issue. And literally how much space it takes, right? Because if you have a lot of trucks parked at the same time, if they have to park a long time, you need more space hydrogen fueling more quickly can work better. So that's just like one example where we see kind of centrally fueled, you have a small number of fueling stations for hydrogen where it makes sense. So to the hydrogen hubs, you asked about uh, hydrogen hubs is a $8 billion uh, initiative under the infrastructure bill to basically fund um, a number of uh, big large scale hydrogen hubs. We have asked for proposals, received those proposals, are now evaluating those. And um, once that's happened, we'll be making awards for a number of those hubs, We're not an exact number that's set, but you know more than just a few. Um, and the goal here is they'll be geographically dispersed as well as they'll be Really, these are demonstration projects. So some will be working on making hydrogen from clean electricity. Some will be looking at making it from fossil fuel, natural gas, like it's done today, but adding in carbon capture, for example. Some will be tied in with excess power from nuclear plants. So um, the hubs are going to actually demonstrate the ability to both make the hydrogen, transport the hydrogen, store the hydrogen, and have offtake use like heavy-duty trucks or other industrial applications as well. What is the the timetable for kind of selecting those final sites in the hydrogen hub project right now? Everyone would like them as absolutely soon as possible. There is not an exact date I can give, um, but certainly we would, uh, you know, we, we'd like them to be uh, later this year, uh, but no, no, no guarantee on timing at this point that I can give. Michael, I know there's a lot that falls within your purview at, at the Department of Energy. Tell us exactly like what your office does and, and what's under your oversight. Sure. Um, I, I'll just start with my core goal. Right? The goal for me and my team is really how do we achieve decarbonization across all of the transportation sector, every mode of transportation in a way that is cost effective that works for people. So to do that, um, my team works on every type of vehicle from you know, light cars, trucks, planes, trains, ships. We work on developing new battery technology, 
EV charging, uh, both technology and deployment, but also hydrogen production and hydrogen fuel cells, and then all forms of um, bioenergy and really converting waste carbon, including municipal solid waste, to liquid fuels that can be used in things like airplanes called sustainable aviation fuel. And then really interesting is we just set up a new joint office between the Department of Energy and Transportation called the uh, Joint Office of Energy and Transportation. First time you have this type of uh, essentially a new group that sits between two agencies. Um, and I, um, I help uh, support and lead that from the DOE side. We hired a great guy, Gabe Klein, who's our uh, executive director running the group. Setting the stage for this a little bit, what is the DOE's kind of decarbonization blueprint and, and you know what all fits into that hydrogen and, and what else? Yeah. So this, uh, as I mentioned, we we being the Department of Energy, but also um, the Department of Transportation, EPA, as well as HUD, Housing and Urban Development, we got together along with the White House, and in January of this year, four you know four cabinet members plus the president's cabinet advisor announced the U.S. Transportation Decarbonization Blueprint, and this is a um, thought out detailed strategy of how do we decarbonize all of transportation, aligning it with resource availability, aligning it with cost effectiveness, um, looking at, you know, where's the electricity come from? Because whether you're making hydrogen or doing battery electric or making biofuels that we need hydrogen, we need electricity, right? A lot of this does come back to how do we achieve 100% clean grid? So we at DOE are looking at all of these simultaneously. And, and this is a key point. By taking a systems level look, and looking at the total system, both the electricity production as well as transportation, and within transportation, all the modes, we're able to develop a holistic strategy that we think makes more sense. So the goal is nothing short of 100% decarbonization across transportation by 2050. That means that in most transportation sectors, we have to be fully deployed by 2035, given fleet turnover times. Um, so, you know, light duty vehicles, a lot of work going for battery electric there, the EV charging, battery critical materials, um, managing that supply chain, managing the grid interaction. That's half of all of the, you know, CO2 in the transportation sector. Short haul trucks actually are moving the same way. Long distance heavy duty trucks, we talked about, maybe are moving more towards hydrogen. Um, we think that's the right solution that works there. We are working a lot on aviation across industry groups with NASA, with FAA, to really move the aviation sector towards sustainable aviation fuel. So liquid fuel made from biomass and waste carbon resources. Um, and combined with, there's about 30% improvement in airplane efficiency that we are working towards with NASA. But part of that includes hybridization of the airplane. In the future, you're going to see some batteries in airplanes, not, you know, battery plugging in the airplane necessarily, maybe for small ones, but for these really big planes where actually you can add some battery boost to help optimize the uh, combustion cycle when you're at cruise, right? A little boost, so you need a little less to take off, you optimize the engine overall for, for cruise. So things like that, rail, uh, maritime are also working on new solutions. So I will say, I, I just got back from um, international meeting in Europe of all the transportation officials across the world. And industry folks from all sectors as well. I would say there's pretty good alignment across globally of all these sectors of the path we need to go down. Everyone is, you know, maybe different, a little different on the time frame of when they can get there, but the direction is pretty well aligned. You mentioned kind of these hybrid models. I'm curious, is battery electric competitive with hydrogen? Are they, are they complementary? A little bit of both and mixing and matching there. You know, I think what we see, and I think others, you know, in the industry is 
well is that um, with the improvements in the cost and the storage capability for battery electrics, for things like light duty vehicles, it is pretty clear that battery electric is the way that the industry is going to go. And, and it just makes the more, most sense because you're starting with a clean electron. And at the end, you need to put that clean electron back into the vehicle. If you convert it to hydrogen along the way and then convert it from hydrogen back to electricity, you get a lot of conversion losses there. So if you can make the batteries work, it's just better and easier. But in some cases, hydrogen will work better where you need faster fueling. You need to have just put more energy density on by compressing that hydrogen, liquefying the hydrogen. That's what a lot of people on the heavy duty truck side are looking at in the future trucks as well. Same discussion with rail where, yes, it might make sense to do electric in some cases. Certainly cantonary lines make a lot of sense in, you know, in for certain types of things. We use it already today in a number of cases. Europe uses it extensively. Um, that might be the future for some. And then, but you maybe have a, a hydrogen-based or even a battery-based uh, locomotive that helps carry that train for the, you know, 50-mile, 100-mile spurs off of the main track, something like that. So I'm curious, hydrogen has always seemed to be this, you know, kind of potential energy source that that's 10 years away. And, and maybe it's been that way since the oil embargoes of the mid-70s. What makes you hopeful that it's much more commercially viable here and now, as opposed to all these previous times where it's always been around the corner, but we never quite turned that corner. You know, it, it, some could say the same with batteries 10 or years ago, right? But I mean, there is a point when the cost does come down enough that it becomes viable, right? What makes me positive is we have reduced cost and durability of fuel cells. So we now are at the point where you go from like, you need new science to need engineering. And, you know, many of the people listening to this that in auto industry can relate to this, you optimize something with cycles of engineering. The first time you do it, it, it's good. The second time it's better. The third time you're really getting better. We're going to start entering that phase with hydrogen fuel cells where they're commercially viable today, but we'll make them better with time. I also think that we are getting our heads around realistic infrastructure, meaning centrally fueled locations, dispersed hydrogen production. The other pieces the economics of a hydrogen fuel cell truck is getting the hydrogen cost down low enough. To do that, you need high utilization and low cost of electricity. We're now at the point where you can deploy very large renewables close to where you make hydrogen, get very low cost. We're talking, you know, a cent or two per kilowatt hour type of electricity tied in. So now the economics all start coming together. So I think we've, you know, there are technical things to solve and optimize, but then there are the practical side things, which I have people starting to get their heads around. Um, and the other thing I will say is it will be not just transportation. Hydrogen will start to be used for decarbonizing things like steel production and cement, decarbonizing fertilizers, right? Mixed with ammonia. So there's a number of things that hydrogen will be used for. When you put it all together, that's when it'll really make sense. You mentioned that cost factor and maybe to, to tie a bow on the hydrogen hubs. I know the goal is to get it down to a dollar per kilogram, uh, where are we at today? And, and is it the same for, for green hydrogen, which is obviously the, the ultimate goal? Yeah. Um, so, you know, today, I mean, right, the key is to get low greenhouse gas hydrogen. Today, just production, not the transported delivered hydrogen, but just producing it, you can do it around $2 a kilogram from steam methane reforming from natural gas, but then add costs for carbon capture on top of it. Um, we're probably closer to the six, $7 range today. Our goal is in 2026 to get to $2 and then ultimately to $1, as you said, by 2030, 31. That 2026 will be a key point. So we need volume um, and some optimization, I think, of both to, to get it up there. 
Michael Berube is a Deputy Assistant Secretary with the U.S. Department of Energy. He spoke with our own Pete Bigelow on Shift, a podcast about mobility. You can hear their full conversation wherever you get your podcasts. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jake Neer, in for Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to automotive news journalists Lindsey Van Hulley and Jack Walsworth for their reporting for today's podcast. You can get the latest news on tech and innovation, manufacturing, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a look at why the Inflation Reduction Act's Advanced Manufacturing Production Tax Credit is a game changer for the U.S. EV battery supply chain. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.